Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network, part of Underground Sports Philadelphia. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Tapped at Process Potables. For news, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap. Cheers, everybody. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Process Potables. This is episode number 60, titled The Last Brouhaha. Before we get into it, just want to remind you that there will also be a new Power Bombs and Potables episode in your feed tomorrow. Make sure to follow the Power Bombs guys over at Power Bombs PPN on Twitter. This week, we will also debut our new podcast, Popcorn and Potables, bringing you news, trivia, and discussion on movies of all likes, comedies, horror, drama, you name it. We're talking it. Hosted by our friends Mike and Mary. You can follow them on Twitter at PopcornPPN. That will probably drop sometime around Wednesday or Thursday this week. It is working on getting distributed the platform, so it may not be available everywhere just yet. I do know it will be immediately on Anchor, Spotify, and a couple others, so we'll make sure to keep you updated As that comes, we also have a brand new video on our YouTube, also from the Popcorn and Potables podcast, a little blooper reel of one of the games that we played on a bonus episode we recorded. It was a lot of fun. We will be bringing a lot of video content from that podcast specifically, as well as hopefully a little bit more from everybody else as we go. So a lot happening here at the Podcast Potables Network. We appreciate appreciate everybody tuning in, subscribing, downloading, and just, you know, giving us the time of day because... There's a lot of content out there. We're trying to make sure during this time where some other platforms have, you know, kind of kind of taken a break that we keep it pumping, try to keep everybody busy and entertained during the quarantine. Something that has done that the same, and we've been talking about it every week, is The Last Dance. Episodes 9 and 10 aired tonight. That is the end of the series, which I'm sure is going to upset a lot of us, myself included, and probably my co-host here, Steve. Steve... It's another Sunday night is the last one that we'll probably be doing this this late and at this time for, you know, who knows, probably until maybe there's potentially a playoff game on a Sunday or something like that. How you feeling? How'd the week treat you? And what are your initial thoughts just knowing that the five weeks of bliss we got watching this documentary have come to an end? I am very excited that I will be able to get to bed on time on a Sunday night. So that's number one. Uh, But as the saying goes, I believe this came from the Breaking Bad finale. Don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that you lived it. So a lot of... Very deep. Yeah, sometimes I like to be the guy that hates or picks on people for being nostalgic. But, I mean, this is right in my wheelhouse. This is basketball. This is the era that really cemented us as fans and just I really enjoyed the ride sure we have our criticisms but overall especially in this time where there's a lack of sports it's something really great to watch because I I imagine you're not going to want to talk about German soccer so here we are with the last dance baby the I will talk about German soccer if you want because although Busby gave me a 16 parlay that did not hit and my 16 parlay that every game would tie, which was basically a meme but could have won me money, did not hit, but those were a uh, dollar and a $3 bet combined. But I did bet 25 on your team, uh, yeah. Dortmund, yeah, to win and doubled up. Nice. So yeah, that was I'm, I'm officially dude. a German soccer guy now, yeah. I guess. As long as I can bet on it, I'm vaguely interested at the very <laughs> least. Would just like to make it clear, though, I do not have a gambling problem. I no. have a competition problem. I know we did our fair share of drinking on Friday night with Mike and Mary, which was a very great time, again, with the Popcorn and Potables crew. Really excited to see what they bring down the road. I am partaking in a beer because it's processed potables. We kind of have to. I know I know you're not joining me. I mean, you're, you're welcome to the fridge, but, you know. Yeah, I know, maybe I know, I'll get something halfway through. I know, I know yeah. it's past your bedtime and <laughs> stuff, so I didn't want to force it upon you, but I'm drinking a Yards Filthy. It is an unfiltered, hazy IPA. 
clocks in at about six and a half percent. Very, very delicious. A very easy drink. It's it's light. It's crisp. It has just a hint of underlying fruit flavor. I get kind of a, I don't know, some some sort of melon because I don't eat a lot of fruits. I generally have a hard time picking up the flavors. I tend to think everything just tastes kind of orangey, mango-y because other than that, I don't yeah. really know that much. Um, so it has those hints, but nothing overpowering. It's not a fruit beer by any means. It's a very good drink. I went to Yards and picked up three different beers about two weeks ago, and all of them were incredible. Been very impressed with them lately. They're doing curbside, all that stuff, so make sure you check them out. You can follow them at Yards Brew. Yeah, it's really good. They say you need, what, three to four servings of fruit a day, so if you just have three to four of those, then I mean, that's th- as close that as should I'm cover you. Yeah, yeah it'll be good. That and the uh, strawberry lemonade packets I put in my water. Strawberry is a fruit, right? It, it sure is. Even yep. if it's powdered and not actually made from fruit. Yep. Yeah, the powder came from somewhere. Came from a fruit, buddy. Not a lab. I, I've I've had a few powders in my day. <laughs> if, if we're being honest, there's not a whole lot on the news agenda, but I do want to get into Brett Brown's media availability, so I'll cover some of his quotes in this week's quick sips. So Brett Brown made himself available to the media on Friday. Nothing really that interesting, but there were a couple quotes that stuck out that I just thought if anybody wasn't able to come across these, we could we could talk about it a little bit here. The first thing I have on here is talking about the health of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. We'll start with Ben Simmons. Brett Brown was quoted as saying, it could be a little bit of a silver lining of this pandemic, being able to get somebody as important as Ben back into our team. Something we've talked about a lot that this time off for Simmons back injury was definitely going to be one of the underlying benefits for the Sixers during this time that maybe other teams wouldn't be able to take advantage of as much. Uh, Brett did go on to discuss how much pain Ben was in in that Milwaukee game and talked about how disturbing that was that Ben was throwing up and all these things, which again just brings all these questions about the Sixers training staff and medical staff as to why he was even available for that game in the first place. It's not the first time we've had issues like that. And it's very concerning to hear Brett say those things. I did did not enjoy that. And I didn't even want to read the quotes here because it just made me uncomfortable and made me feel for a guy like Ben Simmons. He wanted to vomit after hearing about him vomit. Yeah, basically we're kind of there. As far as Joel Embiid, obviously not really an injury thing as the last game they played before the league suspended activity and be did come back from that shoulder sprain and looked very very good but as people have been wondering all this time off how would Joel Embiid's weight and his conditioning be Brett Brown said that Embiid quote has a desire to be at a playing weight that equals his best since he's been in the league just something we've heard before but you know who knows at this point you'd hope that not having to worry about playing games and all this stuff has given him time to work on his cardio get ready and and maintain and be prepared for a potential restart to the league. He was asked about Embiid in the playoffs and said that he his ideal number of minutes for Joel Embiid would be 38 minutes a game, up from the 30 he averaged in the regular season, saying, quote, Joel is completely aware that kind of as he goes with his health and fitness, we go. What are your thoughts on Joel Embiid playing 38 minutes a game in the playoffs? Well, as long as he's uh, keeping up with his conditioning, I'll be fine with it. There is also something to be said that he has this history of being you know shelved for a while and then coming back, so maybe that comes to help him as well. I don't know if and when we do resume play and go with the playoffs. So you want your best player to play that many minutes, but hopefully his conditioning allows him to do that. The whole point of a lot of the moves they made was supposed to be so that he didn't necessarily have to do that. I think thirty eight is too much for him, even if he's in. The bet, you know, the bet, potential best shape of his career because we've seen that even that shape isn't a guy that can really play forty minutes consistently. Yeah, you're gonna have games where he gets to thirty eight or so, but you'd also like to think that you know maybe you can sneak a game or two here and there where he only plays twenty eight to thirty potentially. But I, I I don't believe in thirty. I don't think that would be what's best for him or this team because of the fact that I just don't believe that he can do it. Obviously, the best of Joel Embiid at 38 minutes is is great, but I just don't believe that that's yeah. a reality. And that's why we signed Horford in the first exactly. place. So. 
Brett talked on if the NBA league is to resume with the playoffs and said, quote, I think if you took a ruler, a measuring stick, and you measured us wingspan to wingspan, we have the tallest team in the NBA. I think that we have the opportunity to guard because of that length and spirit as well as anybody. I feel very confident and respectfully cocky that we've done good work. I'm proud of my coaching staff. He talked about what they're able to do to prepare for other opponents during this time and said, after we completed our self-scout in the bullpen with Toronto, Miami, and Boston, good to go. We've taken significant studies on on what that ultimately is going to look like. It's a combination of both analytic work and video work. Some of it's just gut feel work from our coaches and me of things that we're going to have to do to play one of those few teams. I always want the opportunity to coach our guys more together than think like that great rest is all of a sudden going to produce a team. This is in regards to whether the rest would be advantageous for the team or not, saying, quote, Rest versus, I suppose, cohesion, continuity. I wish that we had more opportunity to have the guys together than we have had. That's going to be it for this week's Quick Sips. Steve, is there anything else from that that, that sticks out to you? Anything you agree with, dis- disagree with as far as Brett's availability to the media? So it's interesting because I think the way he phrased it, obviously he and I'm sure every other coach and team in the league, they probably have some sort of idea of if and when we will return the action. If he's specifically looking at matchups, you, you got to think that maybe they're just going to go right into the playoffs, whether it's modified or your regular 16-team playoff. And what's going to be interesting after the season ends and years later when you look back, it's going to be interesting to see what factors led to the team winning the title. What competitive advantage did they do? And a lot of these things are really interesting, and I'm sure a lot of it with some luck as well as the health of our players will factor into how far we get into the playoffs. So it's going to be a pre- pretty interesting. And I know he can't really be too hands-on with everyone, but my understanding is that basically all the assistants can guide or uh, do these uh, one-on-one drills or what have you. So... It sounds like he has a very good plan in place with both, you know, the uh, sabermetrics or, you know, the stats stuff and the analytics and then, you know, with their conditioning and everything. Yeah, again, uh, some teams have been able to open their facilities. I think more opening up this week. I I don't know specifically about the Sixers if it's been made available. I know Brett did mention that Ben is at access to it the whole time because he was rehabbing from the injury. I think they've mentioned that some players have been in there and they are still maintaining social distancing via how many people can be on the court. I know that like the training staff people have to wear masks and gloves to like rebound for everybody and stuff. So, you know, you do the best you can with it. But like Brett said in the one quote, obviously they're not having team practices. They're not really able to put everybody out there together and really work on strategy and whatnot. So this is the problem. I don't think that that, way of going about it benefits a team that doesn't have the type of experience and veteran presence that this team has, especially amongst your best players being Ben and Joel, right? That this isn't a team that I could count on to show up having watched a bunch of film and only that and come in cohesive and ready to go based on the very small sample size they've had together. We talked all season about, the different lineups, different guys missing time and all that. And even if everybody would have played every game, they didn't even finish the regular season. So they technically didn't even get a shot at 82 games together. I think they, they wrapped up somewhere around 65. So, yeah, something like that so, in the 60s. you know, that's still another almost, you know, 17 games or so that they, and especially considering if Ben would be back and, you know, Horford gets fresh legs if this didn't go that long and they were able to restart the season, then maybe I would feel like, okay, like now they have 17 games to get their legs under them to still figure it out. And you just have this short window to have to deal with that. And then the playoffs, I would like those chances. And I like the, I always liked the idea of this team in the playoffs, but I don't like the idea of this team going straight into the playoffs. I don't think that's an advantage for them. And I don't really feel great about it at this point, regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of how they work out, who they play. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not going to feel very good about any of the teams we could potentially see in the first round. And, and I don't think that we're going to be favored over any of them. 
Now, now let me ask you something, not to go off script here, but I know especially on Twitter and elsewhere, a lot of people said the team that wins the title this season, it's going to have a huge asterisk on it. Now, let's say the Sixers do win the championship. One, are we going to go to that parade? And two, yes. are we? Okay, I didn't think that, you know, you would say no, but are, are how the hell are they going to institute social distancing? Because that Eagles parade was the most exact opposite thing of social distancing ever like that was the most miserable amazing experience of my life yes i hated that day so much even though it might have been the greatest day of my life yeah it's a very confusing feeling that i'm still struggling to cope with and properly process uh the sixers one will be no different i would say not necessarily to any question you asked, but it will be absolute comedy if the Sixers win the title in the season because if there's any team that is going to get yep. the most shit and mm-hmm. like have the biggest asterisk next to them by winning this season, it would be the Sixers. Like right. Lakers win it, it doesn't matter. They were a top seed mm-hmm. in the West. They have LeBron James, whatever. The Bucks win it, and it's like, oh, Giannis finally did it. Nobody's going to care. But the Sixers do it. And you factor in Joel Embiid and getting this time off to get healthy and Ben Simmons getting this time off to be healthy and Al Horford getting his legs back under him. Like There are going to be so many things you can draw for the Sixers specifically that this was beneficial, even though we're sitting here also explaining why there's many reasons it's not. No one's going to care about that. Yeah, and it's just with all the weird stuff that has gone on with this team from when the process started, just the process itself was controversial. The whole thing with Colangelo, the, our training staff, the injuries with Fultz and Embiid, and just all this weird stuff that doesn't really happen. It would be so on brand for us to win this one with the Nashrick. And Nashrick or not, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't. I don't care at all. Uh, I think we may have asked something similar to this at any other point, and and I don't care. No matter how they win, no matter what it is, like if you were like, oh. They're going to draw teams out of a hat, and they're going to play one game. And we were drawn, and we beat whoever. It's a title. Title's a title. Yep, title's a title. And no one ever brings up the Spurs, uh, you know, lockout season. Well, uh, I don't know. I hear people say that that's brought up, but I've never seen it, so I, yeah. don't, I don't know. You know what this made me think of? I don't know if, if you'll remember this already. It was only, like a, I think, like two weeks ago or so, but Natalie Aganoff of 97.5 of the Mike Missinelli show was, was getting roasted on Twitter for having a tweet that she didn't want to win another Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. And everybody was like, are you fucking kidding? Like, nobody cares. Like, we just won another Super Bowl. Like, yeah. you're what, you're not going to go to the parade because uh, Jalen Hurts wins the Super Bowl and not Carson yeah. Wentz? Like, dude, I, like, I am at, like, one of the furthest guys in Carson Wentz's camp that can exist. I don't give a shit if he wins it. Yeah. I don't care at all. I want him to. That would be great rooting for the guy. But if you're telling me that... The only way I win a Super Bowl this year is with Jalen Hurts as my quarterback. Then Jalen Hurts is my fucking quarterback. Yep. Like, is that is that crazy? I don't. No, it's it's dude. It's a Super Bowl, right? Man. That's what I mean. So I don't give. Like, we lived all, practically our entire lives until two years ago that we would die and never see a fucking Super Bowl. So if I get another one because of another backup quarterback, okay, yeah, yep, that's fine. Yeah. Like, if you're telling me that Greg Monroe has to get signed to a, a minimum deal and come back to this team for us to win the title this year, then welcome back, Greg. Yeah. Welcome back, Moose. Welcome as as friend of the pod, Ty Albert would say, he is the second. We were always your biggest fans. We never spoke Second greatest Moose in Sixers history, mm-hmm. behind Phil E. Moose and ahead of Mike Muscala. Yes. So, I think that's all we have for the Sixers, trying to, to figure out what we can do and have a little fun with it. We're going to get into the last dance. That will be the majority of this episode. But before we do that, quick message from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856 904 5636 that's 856-904-5636 and mention process potables for exclusive savings so steve last week and i didn't don't think i caught this last week but we ended up turning on espn about 10 minutes before episode nine so we rewatched the end of episode eight and i didn't 
remember Reggie Miller ending last week's episode saying basically that he was thinking in that series against the Bulls, the Eastern Conference Finals for 97-98, that he was going to retire Michael Jordan. Oh, I remember that. I don't remember that at all, and I don't feel like we talked about it on the episode. So usually when we've been watching these episodes, I've been taking notes on my phone while I watch them. But what? So when I saw that quote, I already set up my notes for this week's episode because for me, Reggie Miller has to be my first hate the face guy. I just always hated him. He, to me, he was always the villain of the NBA's Eastern conference from being a little kid watching Michael Jordan to when the Sixers during their runs, they always encountered uh, Indiana a few times and just you, you hate him because he's good and he always hits those big shots, especially if you're the New York Knicks. But, dude, I just, like, I kind of, like, my hate for Reggie Miller just came back. And I know people love to hate on Reggie Miller, the announcer. Oh, dude, as a player, I just hated, hated, hated him. Yep, absolutely hated him, too. He's in that that category of if you were a Sixers fan for that Iverson era, it was really like the top of the East in those few years where the Sixers were really contenders. You were always running into either Vince Carter, Reggie Miller, or Ray Allen. Like they mm-hmm. felt, they felt like the the guys that you were always dealing with. And obviously, I, I believe they overcame all three of them. Yep. Here they did go to the finals. So yeah, and and uh, I wouldn't say Ray Allen as much as Sam Cassell because he was my second hate the face guy. And just okay. him and Reggie Miller, just two of the ugliest motherfuckers that ever played basketball. Very true. Very true. So they they begin with this, and I mean that Pacers team is is so confusing to me. I believe I think it might have been like Bill Cartwright they were talking to who said that they were the the biggest challenge the Bulls faced at any point. Then they asked Jordan, and Jordan put them just behind the bad boy Pistons. Yeah. And he said in the East, at least. So, like, I, I give him that because, like, again, like, I don't want to be in a position to be defending the Utah Jazz. I hated them. I've always hated Carl Malone. And we're going to get to them and absolutely ripping on them for sure, but... The fact that they're mentioning like the Indiana Pacers over the Utah Jazz, who saw them in back-to-back finals, then again, just especially like again, Jordan prefaced it with the East, so I'm hoping that was because he was giving the Jazz due credit. But the Bulls being a team that was always playing the disrespect card, even though they won yeah three sets of title or you know they have two different times had a three-peat that they're sitting here and talking about, you know, Indiana being the toughest team they face is like yeah. a, a, a little bit uh, surprising to me. Obviously, this is all kind of after the facts. It doesn't really matter right. now, but I'm curious. I wonder if part of it has to do with because if I know we talked about during uh, the episode that Carl Malone wasn't interviewed, which is obvious. No Brian uh, Russell. The only uh, person I was really interviewed was Stockton from the Jazz, right? So I wonder if that was maybe the narrative they kind of did that. So you know what? We're going to make Utah seem even more vulnerable or make people think they weren't even as good as they really were just because we couldn't get them on. So maybe a little bit of conspiracy, but I I just had to mention that. Yeah, the, the Jazz thing in this whole series has been confusing. We've talked about it almost every week. I know I've brought it up. And the thing that I had heard was that because they rushed this up, they didn't even have everything done. So they were still conducting some of the interviews. But again, your point, yeah, I think they might have had Byron Russell like for a second. I think you may have gotten a line out of him. I'm not even sure. But yeah, Stockton's the only one it seemed like they got. This whole thing has been so weird on what they've chosen to focus on and not focus on. And again, when you're mainly supposed to be talking about that 97-98 season, it really seems like they completely glossed over the Utah Jazz of 96-97 and 97-98. And it's just crazy because that Jordan's final shot crossing over Brian Russell and just him... Trip it on his ankles. By the way, that was not a push off. Not a push. His, his hand was just there. Well, like, it was you know, barely a love Same tap. with Reggie Miller's. A soft push. Yeah. You know, force the ref to call mm-hmm. it. They're not going to call it. Um, but that that is one of, like, the most iconic scenes in sports history. Absolutely. And to think that they, they didn't get more out of that, like, that... that that was well, supposed I, to be Jordan's last moment, but that that was such a big deal. Because that's something everybody's seen so much, I don't think you need to hammer that down. That's anybody's true. Throat. Yeah. Like, 
if there's one thing you don't need to elaborate on, it is the most commonly known part of the entire thing. That's is, fair. Is that yeah. shot? But still, yeah, I mean, may, you know, maybe you could find. I, what I would like to think, since it doesn't seem like they went crazy on it, is there's nothing else that we really find out that anybody said that has anything to do with that that goes beyond just it being a great play call, a great shot. They broke it down. They talked about, you know, I, I like that they, they broke down the defensive possession before it where Malone caught the post up against Rodman, and they always run that set where Jordan's guy would take him to the alternate wing. Right. And Jordan knew they were going to go to it, so Jordan didn't rotate, comes and strips the ball out of Malone in the post. That's That exact defensive possession is something that we've seen Joel Embiid fail to read his entire career here so yeah. far. And in that media availability, Brett did talk about this documentary a little bit, and I'm sure everybody in the NBA is watching this, like... I hope maybe that's like a realization that, you know, on both sides of the fence, one, guys make plays. It's very difficult. And even Carl Malone being one of the best of all time in the post can easily be susceptible to help defense coming and forcing turnovers, but also to Joel Embiid realizing that, you know, post awareness is crucial and these things are going to happen in these big time games and these big time moments. And you need to be able to overcome and adapt. And so far, unfortunately, and, you know, our stars, young careers, they, they have not been able to do that thus far. The order of a lot of things in these last two episodes specifically were weird to me, but we'll keep moving on before I get there. The next thing is is basically them talking about what many would refer to as the flu game. And apparently, even though this isn't the first time people have heard this, people were acting like it, debunking that theory and calling it the food poisoning game. <laughs> so apparently... It's Utah, it's 10.30 at night, and Michael Jordan is hungry. And there's no room service, they they can't find anywhere to get him food from, and they find one pizza place, and they order him a pizza. And apparently, five people delivered him this pizza, and his, I forget who this guy was, I think the head of his security detail was there, and then there was, I think his I think it was his head trainer, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I think, I think we're in agreement there, so it's probably what it is. Have, like, a bad feeling about this. And then Michael Jordan eats the whole pizza. How are you at that point in a career where you're the head trainer for the best NBA player in the world at that time, the the greatest athlete in the world and the head of a security detail and you see five people deliver a pizza and you let them eat it? The weirdest thing ever, right? Would you eat a pizza that five dudes delivered? Oh, hell no. You know they spit on it and just all sorts of crazy shit. That, that's just the weirdest thing. Like, you've never heard that in any other scenario. I mean, you used to deliver pizzas yourself. Did you ever have more than one person accompany you? No. No. Uh, just, it would it would have been nice for the company. But, yeah, I mean, if anything, I would have had one and they would have stayed in the car. You know, like, yeah. I, you know I would have driven around with a friend if they wanted to. I don't believe I ever did that, but... Absolutely could have. Best job I ever had, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not buying it. Super weird. Now, there are still a lot of people on the internet that were saying they don't believe this, that they think Jordan was hungover, that they think he was partying that night. So what what feel do you get from this? Do you believe that this could have been food poisoning? I don't, I don't think there's any debate that it's the flu now. I think, obviously, if he's not saying that, and the only thing that people are arguing to the contrary is that Jordan liked the party, that he was probably just fucked up. Where do you kind of stand on it? It's it's got to be the food poisoning because if if Jordan got fucked up the night before and it just greatly affected his performance, I feel like this wouldn't be the first time that it happened the night before a game six NBA final. And I just feel like if there's one thing we've learned from this entire series, Jordan's a psychopath. And I'm sure in the playoffs, especially the finals, he's probably not going to deviate from what he normally does. And just, again, five dudes... There was one place open in uh, 1030 at night in Utah. It's just there's too many red flags there for me to believe otherwise. And like I said, I just wonder if they uh, called it the flu to avoid it calling the game being called as the poo game. And maybe just had massive diarrhea and it, it probably looked better PR and blah, 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 that he had the flu and not food poisoning. So I got to say in doing like 70 or so total episodes of this podcast, I'm very impressed at how little we've talked about diarrhea or shit yeah. or anything. So th- thanks for doing it now. Yeah, you got any time. Yeah, uh, I I tend to believe it. I get the skepticism, but I'm with you. He's an absolute psychopath, and I think that he understood that 
that both of those series were were difficult and that the Jazz were a team that that could handle it and that he he couldn't fuck around like that. The thing that I thought was interesting is this guy with all his endorsements and all this money and all this staffing somehow has no food plan for this guy. Yeah, especially McDonald's was one of his biggest sponsors. Like I, said, I said the same thing. Yeah, the there's time. no standby McDonald's for yep. Jordan, like on that airplane. Like it should be everywhere. I think about Wayne Knight and Space Jam. Like, all right, Michael, lace up your Nikes, get your Big Mac. And bo-. like, I'm surprised like there wasn't anything like that. Yep. Yeah. It's crazy to me that that's the case. But again, I think the onus has to go on the head of security and the trainer that let him eat that thing. And. Being from an area where we have really good fucking pizza, yep. the further you go out west, the pizza's got to be oh, yeah. even worse. So, hey, maybe it's just your run-of-the-mill average now, pizza. being that he's not from here, does he have any idea really what good or bad pizza would be? We're spoiled. That's true. In, in Chicago, to me, that's almost not a pizza. That well, he's also dish, not but, from Chicago, but yeah. yeah he did but, so I'm sure there, he. So. I'm sure his pizza game. He, he learned a few things. What's acceptable and not. I don't. So. I don't expect him to really just be a food guy. I feel like he yeah. only eats for the 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 fact that he needs to to go. I have the feeling like he probably doesn't even have a favorite food. He's like, yeah. I'd rather just drink whiskey and smoke a cigar for dinner. But true, I have to get nutrients. Which I mean, so would I if we're being honest. But, oh yeah. Uh, we this whole series has been about. You know, who is the main motivator of Michael Jordan at whatever point in time? And we get one of the best stories. of. I mean, it seems like every week it gets better and better. But uh, we go back to to Byron Russell and the fact that apparently Jordan recalled a story of him talking shit to Jordan when Jordan wasn't even in the league. Jordan was retired and playing baseball, but was at. Like a like a workout or whatever that you know Carl Malone was at, and apparently so was Byron Russell. I, I I guess this was like his rookie year, and apparently he said something along the lines of like, "Why'd you have to go and quit? You knew I could guard you." Something something, and Jordan goes to Malone and says, "Yo, you better get your boy." Yeah, and Malone's like, "Oh, like he's just a stupid young rookie." And like, if I'm Carl Malone, you know, I've seen Carl Malone power slam Hulk Hogan, and, <laughs> and I've seen him power yep. slam Dennis Rodman. He needs to give a diamond cutter to Byron mm. Russell because he may have cost Carl Malone two championships. Yeah, I mean, hey, maybe that's just proof that Carl Malone wasn't much of a leader. He didn't want to step up and say, hey, hey, kid, Great hey, point. Rook, you know what? Just shut your mouth and play. Great point. But Bert. and Jordan just be like, you know what? You're on the list. Like the, Again, he's a psycho. He has this mental list of people who just pissed him off, and that's what keeps him going. Yeah, it's, again, not being a guy that ever liked Carl Malone. Between watching this series and then watching the WWE Untold on the Rodman Malone run in WCW, I was very impressed with Carl Malone is an absolute monster of a human being. He was in incredible shape back then. Like, I I couldn't believe it seeing the highlights again from him in WCW. Yeah, it wasn't until he, like, "Quote unquote wrestle that you're like, oh wow, holy shit! Like he's he's he was, big, like, dude, he's, he's like Bobby Lashley looking, like, yeah, he, like that big, that strong, and that athletic. Like I always thought he was kind of just lazy shit who only took elbow jumpers, but man, like yeah. he was actually a legitimate athlete. I have to give him credit for that, but yeah, who knows about the leadership <laughs> thing, man? Because I mean, clearly couldn't get it done. Clearly couldn't get that team over the hill when they had a lot of talent." Yeah, for some reason, those hideous purple uniforms just took away any appeal he had as, you know, far and a as team from Utah in. being called the Jazz in the whitest state in the world. Yeah. As if anybody there could play or appreciate or anything jazz or probably any kind of music at all. And man, those crowds and those finals at the games in Utah, yeah. like I would like, I, it felt like I was staring into a solar eclipse. Like my eyes are <laughs> irritated right now yeah. at how bright it was. What was great about it at the same time was the look of defeat, the heads just dropping down when Jordan hits that shot. So here's another complaint I have about the order of this whole thing, because I really thought that these last two episodes were, were going to really break down. Yeah, I figured we'd get a little bit of that Pacers series, and rightfully so, and there was good stuff. And you had mentioned to me that you were upset they didn't touch on Larry Bird being the coach of that team right. a little bit more. They They take the time in between talking about this series with the Jazz, I think at this point they're talking about the 96-97 one still. And they start talking about Steve Kerr's father being murdered. Mm-hmm. And 
with everything that's happened in this series, like I know they've gone into a lot of depth on a lot of the the main other teammates on this team, and I, and I like that and I enjoy that. And Steve Kerr is definitely a, a very intriguing figure, especially like a lot of people did remember him from that run for hitting a couple clutch shots. But obviously now with his coaching legacy right. becoming all the more of one of the more like prominent names in NBA history between all the years coaching with Pop and now coaching the Warriors dynasty and so on and so forth, that. This just felt very odd and out of place. And again, I, I try to give this documentary the benefit of the doubt and wonder how much of this has to do with bumping it up and whatnot. But like you, you're in the final stretch. Like this is the last weekend. I really feel like a lot of the backstory stuff needed to be done by now. And you right. started the first three episodes as like Jordan backstory, Pippen backstory, Rodman backstory, and you wait till episode nine, the the final weekend, the big conclusion, this whole thing, and that's when we get Steve Kerr's story. He's right. the guy that we're talking about here. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me from a storytelling standpoint, and not to like you know be that guy, but like it's what I went to college for. It's what my degree yep. is, is: radio, television, and film. And even the basic understanding I have of all these things. I'm sure the director of, of this entire thing, obviously being much more prominent and, and doing greater things than I ever will, has to understand that this is kind of fucking stupid. A lot of episode nine just kind of felt awkward to me. Between that and Gus, the security guard, who was like his father figure after MJ's father passed away, like they're nice stories, but it just didn't really fit with the overall narrative or arc of it. Right. And yeah. also episode nine was the first time we see Jordan's kids. You're like, now I know they would have been much younger further back, so, so that's fine. But you're like, wow, they're really stretching this out. Maybe they're running out of ideas or something. Well, and yeah, just, episode 10 it, felt that way. I know you mentioned that, and I agree. The The other thing with episode 9 is if, if when you're talking about uh, Gus, which is a great point by you, wouldn't it make sense if that whole thing kind of came uh, became correlated to the death of Jordan's father? Right, yeah. That you talk about that maybe when you were talking about that Sonic series, since that was the first one he won after his father yeah. died, and that like that all makes sense. Those things go together, but now you're waiting until the next one, and it's like, dude, like ninety six, ninety seven, he had already gone, and then, you know that, when you're talking about that finals, you're already in at the end of his second full year in the NBA after his father passed. I don't think that that's the the point of this anymore. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that they I felt they could have expanded upon was how Paxson kind of passed on the torch of his role being a role player guy to Steve Kerr. Like, I don't know how much you could really expand on that, um, but I just kind of felt like a lot of Steve Steve Kerr's story. I was like, okay, they should just save this for in 10, 15 years when they do the Golden State Warriors title runs. Which, and they, won't, which so. they won't do because Steve Kerr shot that down, which I explained on a uh, previous episode. Yeah. But, I mean, is there actually anything to that Paxton Kerr thing, or are you just drawing the correlation because they're white three-point shooting point guards? Well, well, there's that, and, and they did briefly interview him in, in episode nine that they they played one year together, and Paxton said that oh, he kind of okay. he did take Kerr under his wing. So. But you missed it because it was just like a sure, very yeah. small set, and it's just like they that's something that – Maybe in an earlier episode, they kind of delved in about how, although they always had Pippen and Rodman, the roster from the beginning of the dynasty towards the end is very different. Yeah, and if you're not going to expand on that, if there's not much to it, then why even include the one clip of exactly. it at all if, it, if, it, if there's nothing to it? So, yeah, a, a, another good point by you. We move on to episode 10, which basically starts off with the entire Rodman-Malone-WCW angle. Obviously, this is this is a great conversation piece for both us and our wrestling podcast, Powerbombs and Potables, which you can find on Twitter at Powerbombs PPN. Today, Corey from that show, host of that show, texted me and said, did you watch the WWE Untold episode on Rodman and Malone? I said, no, didn't even know it was a thing. But obviously, if we're going to talk about this tonight, and we're going to watch these last two episodes. Seems like something might not be a bad idea for me to watch beforehand. It was very good. It's only about 28 minutes, so if you do have access to the WWE Network and you're interested in that, I thought it was very good. You'd never hear Carl Malone on The Last Dance. You do hear from Carl Malone on the WWE Untold. How about get, that? You get Rodman, you get Malone, you get Hogan, you get DDP, and you get Bischoff. 
Although the difference may be that maybe Vince just wrote a check and MJ didn't. So well, you know, you know, you can give Vince McMahon shit for a lot of things, but he will write a check. Yeah, for for the right. I guess yeah. I guess Vince has more pull than uh, David Cern or ESPN or Michael Jordan. So the the only thing that I really have from this for for the basketball fans really who who probably don't want to hear about a lot of the wrestling stuff of it is that I found it very entertaining that. They mentioned in the last dance about how Rodman skipped a practice during the finals to go do Nitro. And there are two things that were interesting about that. One, every time Rodman was with the WCW crew, like they would drink and party all night. And like Rodman was the one on the on the show saying, like, I don't understand how they do this. Like, it wasn't Rodman taking them out and they were like, oh my God, like this right? guy's the party animal. It was Rodman saying, I don't know how these guys do it all the time. The other thing that I found interesting about that was that Hulk Hogan in this, in, in one of the portions where he's being interviewed, is saying that he's sitting there telling Dennis Rodman that Phil Jackson is blowing up his phone asking where Dennis Rodman was. So <laughs> Phil Jackson was contacting Hulk Hogan to find out where Dennis Rodman was. Talk about a triangle. Ooh, I like that. Like now, that. And, and do you think... I almost said texted, but back then when he called him, do you said, "Hey, brother, listen." Do Do you think uh, Phil Jackson brothered Hogan? I mean, the brother thing seems very Zen ish, so exactly, I can see Phil right? Jackson being a brother yeah. guy. You know, it's it's got those hippie vibes a little bit. We know Phil's got that like hippie. You know, probably, probably has done some hallucinogens yeah. and stuff in his time, kind of kind of vibe. So yeah, and and I, they got to be around the same age, Hogan and uh, Phil Jackson. I think Phil's a. a little bit older than hulk but yeah maybe not by much yeah you, you might be right there uh so this prompts me to ask you a question and i kind of want to ask Corey the same thing but uh, try to figure it out like maybe in a different way but to you i want to ask right now can you think of a player that would leave his team during the nba finals and go show up on Raw or AEW Dynamite or or SmackDown or something like that. Like, who comes to your mind as the guy that you wouldn't be that surprised to see it happen? It's tough because if just putting aside, you know, the contract, it, w- it would not happen in 2020 aside right. from the contracts and attorneys getting involved yeah, with the leave, team. Yeah, leave the logistics leaving out. Leaving all there's, there's the too, logistics There's too much insurance yeah. stuff and, and, and they make too much money now, but... No one really comes to mind at all who in the NBA would do something like that. Like, right, I'll give if, you a couple of, of mine then. I think J.R. Smith would be one. Okay. I think Joel Embiid has to be somewhat up there. I kind of wanted to say that, but... <laughs> I think Jimmy Butler absolutely could, could yeah, be convinced Jimmy Butler. to do it. Being that we know that he has no problem you know, getting up at 3 a.m. for, for extracurricular yeah. activities and whatnot. Uh, th- those are some of the main ones that stuck out to me as just, you know, kind of those wild cards that I wouldn't be surprised that they got in trouble for something like that but or only, did something along those lines. Only Rodman can get away with that. Um, and, and may, like, I, I, I guess the only other one that really comes to mind is maybe like, uh, like a Russell Westbrook. And I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. And I, I could see that as well, maybe, but, but to a lesser degree than the others. So, uh, thought, thought that was something interesting, man. A a running joke of this series, and to me, man, like this has actually been one of my more favorite parts of this. And like, like this guy's got a fan in me now, where I doubt he's had that many in his entire life. And I don't know how many came out of this series feeling this way, but Scott Burrow, man, <laughs> like he is the poster boy for getting bullied, but like overcoming, dealing with it, and reaping the rewards of just putting up with some bullshit. Yeah, he's getting ribbed on again. In the locker room, in these, in the finals in ninety seven, ninety eight, where Jordan basically says, "Like I don't ever want to see you again. If I ever see you again, I'm gonna whoop your ass." Like I love it. It was hilarious, but it was like, man, like you know, you're you're up like three two. You're about to win your sixth title, and all you can think about is talking shit to Scott Pearl. And, it feels so bad. And not that much later in the episode, you see Carl Malone going into the bus. To congratulate Shake Michael Jordan, like that onto the Bulls team. Yeah, boss. that's a lot of balls, but like you give him a lot of respect for doing that. Yeah, I said the and, same thing. And Jordan had every right to be like, "Hey, motherfucker, fuck off!" Or, "Hey, I got the title and you don't. I got six, you got zero. He had every reason to rib on him, but no, Scott Burrow continues well, to be the guy who gets his balls buzz. 
they, they, Reggie Miller, Isaiah Thomas, Carl Malone, they portray a lot of these players as villains, but Scott Pearl gets most of the hate. Now, I know it's more busting chops right. as his teammate and everything, but. And here's the thing from this is that Jordan, like, obviously on the court and, like, during series and during the season, like, was talking shit. But it did seem like there were a lot of guys he had respect for, and especially once it's all done, it didn't. See, it seemed like he kind of flipped that switch off a little bit. Yeah. And when he tells the story about how he, like, you know, when I was talking about that Byron Russell thing, mm-hmm. like, it clearly seems like even before the Jazz were the team coming out of the West, like, he had a relationship with Carl Malone. He knew Carl. Like, they were, you know, I guess as cool as anybody probably was with Michael Jordan being a competitor of his during that time. So I'm sure that there was a good level of respect there. But, yeah, I mean, I think a central theme – you've gotten from both of us, I believe, during a lot of this, is that while I've kind of been weirdly longing for this series to have more jazz content, and it clearly did not deliver on that, I almost wanted it because I'm an avid hater of Carl Malone, but he got, like, he got a lot of respect from me today, both between watching the WWE Untold part, because <laughs> um, he's very impressive on that, and, and I don't remember him being actually that good at the wrestling part, but apparently he's a lifelong wrestling fan, and between the shape he was in, and everyone talked about how he trained for weeks. Like, he was dedicated to that just as much as he was, like, basketball, and you could tell that it was something, like, he always wanted to do. Like, I, I respected him for that. Yeah, gotta give and, him credit. And seeing him go on that bus, like... You're talking about the Bulls came into Utah, beat you on your home floor, and it's not like you just pack up and leave then, dude. You have the, the ceremonies afterwards. You're, you're spraying I'd the locker room. I'd have been at least two or three hours after. Easily, yeah. uh, easily three to four, five hours, and Malone is still there, and as the Bulls are getting on the team bus, he goes on there and is, like, hugging everybody and congrats. Like, like that's classy, dude. Yeah. I, 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 I want to make jokes about it. That is the opposite of Isaiah Thomas. Carmelo didn't win anything in his career, but he won my respect today. I mm. hope that's worth it for him. Yeah. So the Bulls beat the Jazz. No secrets there. The last thing that they kind of talked about here, it, like you said before, it, it definitely felt like this episode was running out of gas. And another thing about the order of everything was that it just felt like they, they got to the end as far as the, the end of the series against the Jazz a little bit early and didn't have much left in the tank there, but... The one thing that I found very interesting, very, very close to the end of this episode was Jordan talking about the fact that, you know, Jerry Krause didn't have to put this whole last season burden on at the beginning. It served no purpose and that he's fairly confident that everybody would have come back for one year. You could have sent everybody to one year deals. Yeah. Could have signed Phil to one more. Like, you know, obviously if they didn't win, then you can just cut ties with everybody and say you want to rebuild. But this team goes and wins another. Like, what kind of fucking idiot do you have to be to right. have already put a stamp on this thing when they probably could have come back and won again in 99? And Jordan's and, and everyone kept asking Jordan said, oh, but you, you walked away at your prime. He's like, oh, no, it was torture. It killed me to do that. I wanted to go for number well, seven. I, I don't buy that for so, a fucking minute, but I mean, I think I I'll, think that's just throwing throwing more shade at Jerry Krause for the sake of doing so. Sure. But when we watched the first two episodes of this entire thing at the beginning, like we were just on here ripping Jerry Krause, and as it goes, you understand that he did do a great job as a GM for the most part. He obviously assembled a lot of the pieces that really made that dynasty roll and, and managed a lot of things. But this was this has got to be one of the biggest fuck ups that there ever was because the fact that you had all of this on your lap and your ego forced you to 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 write it off early for literally no there's no benefit to doing so whatsoever i guess the only thing you can say is i mean maybe it motivated them towards six but i don't think they needed it they had already won five right wasn't a team that at that point was looking for an extra edge or extra motivation at that point they knew how to win they were they were beyond that and as we learned throughout this entire series Michael Jordan didn't need any help motivating himself. He would make shit up that didn't even happen to motivate himself, and that worked. But, dude, imagine with with the benefit of hindsight, now that we're in 2020, how many Chicagoans do you think are going to be pissing on Jerry Jerry Krause's uh, grave tomorrow morning? You're like, that could have been seven. And since then, we've been – they've basically been – I don't want to say basketball purgatory, but, I mean, they – Here's what I'll say, man. If Brian Colangelo would have won us one title – I would agree to never piss on his grave for the rest of my life. So Jerry Krause gets them six. Yeah. I don't really know that there's a lot he could do that would make me go piss on his grave tomorrow morning. A little bit much. I'm pretty sure he gets you six. You're pretty content. But I, I see where you're going. Yeah. It's a fair point. But 
the last thing I have, Steve, is basically our final power rankings. Now, we haven't, like, kept track of this or moved it up and down, but every weekend we've talked about, you know, who we think kind of climbed up the, I guess, like, approval ratings from the episode, who got the spotlight shine on them in the best way, worst way. Don't really want to break down this episode specifically. Want to do the overall series recap. So if you can give me two to three guys you think got the biggest bump from this series, over 10 episodes, who do you got? So for me, it would definitely be Dennis Rodman. And he will always be remembered for his antics, his hair, what he did off the court, the wrestling and all that. But it kind of served to me as a reminder that he was really fucking good at basketball. He didn't have the offensive game, but he just knew his role and he perfected it. He was he was just that damn good and difficult to deal with, man. I think Rodman definitely looked good. I think that Rodman was just already so respected that I don't know how much more he got out of this. I think it was just very entertaining for the people that knew of his personality just to hear the stories. I never don't think he took a hit at all, but like no. I, I, I think a lot of people gave him his due diligence for how important he was of this, but they did a great job of putting that in perspective still, so I can agree with that. My number one has to be Phil Jackson. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows how great a coach he is because of just how, like, how long he coached and the success he had, but, man, like seeing all the things that this team went through, all these personalities, all, all the – Trials and tribulations, the Jordan retirement, Dennis Rodman's personality, Scottie Pippen, you know, maybe not being this like consistent guy, both mentally and like on the court physically like that. Maybe we remembered him as and also getting the most out of all these other like there's a lot of other like nice pieces on that team. But like there's such a drop off from the Jordan Pippen Rodman thing to everyone else on that team that you have to give him a lot of credit for like especially those guys having to play with Michael Jordan, the fact that they were still all contributing to their role, knowing that they weren't really going to be focal points in getting the ball and always ready to to be in situations. And I think Phil gets a lot of credit for that. And, and Jordan, to some degree, gets some credit for that too. But Phil Jackson came out of this looking amazing. Yeah, Phil Jackson, for me, was my number two guy, in part because of Rodman. He basically managed yep. Dennis Rodman, how... A good NFL coach ma- manages a diva wide receiver. And what does it tell you that immediately after Jackson leaves, they just released Dennis Rodman? Yeah. I think it was clear that, like, even though Krause didn't want Phil there anymore, that it was obvious that, like, okay, like, Dennis Rodman cannot work without Phil Jackson. So, like, right. he's fucking gone. They didn't even trade him. They dropped him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that's very true. And uh, one thing I always remember Phil Jackson for is he's famous for – the Zen Buddhism stuff and likes to meditate and all that. I don't really recall him getting really fired up and cursing at his players. So to see that he did have that side to him, and obviously you do have to have that to right. call out your players. But like you know, and that's how aware he was. Is that even though that's not yeah. him, that there are times where like you have to adapt and 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 read the room, right? And that's something that I think we we criticize a guy like Brett Brown for is he seems very always in his own like philosophy and in, in his own, like he's always just himself and we love him for that. But sometimes, you know, you got to switch it up to, to get people to pay attention because sometimes when you are just the same over and over and over, you know, it becomes background noise. People start to phase it out a little bit and there have been concerns that that, that could be the case here. So yeah, Phil Jackson definitely has the right balance of being the player coach and then being the authoritarian coach. So Another riser for me was Steve Kerr, and a lot of that came from this episode, but I I still think ever since they've gotten to the second half of this dynasty that of all the people that aren't in that big three, like if you had to stretch it to a fourth, I think it's very obviously Steve Kerr. Right. Again, we we mentioned that I think the drop-off is that significant, and actually when they talk about the four, they they include Phil in there, so fine. If we're talking on the court, I think Steve Kerr definitely got a bump up. We have between... Talking about the the story of his father, we have between him getting in a fight with Jordan in practice and earning his respect, between hitting a couple of these clutch shots, like just a lot of big stuff from Steve Kerr that obviously had a significant impact on that franchise. So it did a good job of framing all those things. And I actually think they did a really good job of, I don't know how they would have exactly worked it in, but I'm surprised that there wasn't like at least some kind of talk about Leo, his career after and the Warriors and stuff, and maybe dropping some kind of line in there at any point, or maybe asking him some dumb question like, Oh, you know, do you think your Warriors would have, would have beat that team? Yeah. I'm surprised. They just left all that shit out and talked about him as a bull. And I thought that that was good. Yeah. 
Uh, and for me, a, another, as far as a riser, I'll go in a different direction. I had MJ security team. Oh, hell yeah. Between the guy with the, the white and gray Jerry curls to, to Gus, like those guys were, uh, they were really important, and uh, if it weren't for them, we would have seen Rodman run away from the president with a getaway car. <laughs> like, that, that was a very interesting scene <laughs> and, and very funny to watch all these yeah. guys with cameras trying to, try to run up the stairs. So I'll counter that point as we move on to some of the biggest falls, and again, mainly from this episode, but I think that this is so important, and we discussed it, is his head trainer and the head of his security team, because how in the world do you let him eat that fucking pizza? Yeah. It's bothering me so much. And it also is making me want pizza. So I'm yeah. really annoyed in multiple ways over. I this. could fuck with the slice of Lorenzo's I, right oh, now. Well, brother, this time of the night, don't even get me started. <laughs> I think the biggest fall from grace is horse grant. Okay. And I think we I haven't think- really heard from him in, uh, tonight. So, it's just I, I don't want him anyone to forget how uh, you know how, how much Horace Grant uh, sucked. <laughs> Another one would definitely be Byron Russell. Uh, yeah, as, as he a- was added to the list of Jordan motivators. At least this time it was a real story. Yeah, but dude, if you're a rookie, don't ever talk about Michael Jordan. Come yeah, on, like even that's... when he's out of the league and you're a rookie, and to to do that to your teammate Carl Malone and John Stockton. And probably tarnish their careers a little bit by by giving Michael Jordan motivation yeah. against you, and saying that you're going to be the one that defends him, and then actually being in the position to be his primary defender and losing to him in back to back finals, not a great look. No. And then for me, obviously Jerry Krause, he's the one that broke the team up and everything. But I just never realized how big of a dickhead he was before the, the series, and he's just man, he's going to go down as one of the uh, biggest asshole GMs in history. Yeah, I don't have him on mine just because I don't think that he was really thought of in any high regard at all, and a lot of this was common knowledge. But, yeah, I mean, the, the series does him no services, so you could definitely put him on there, and I would definitely agree with that. The other one, it, it's not a series one, but it was just funny for tonight, and it was the, the last thing that I really thought of was Jalen Rose, uh, just because I fucking hate Jalen Rose so much, and they had a lot of commentary from him. In this, even though he was a, like a bench-playing rookie in that series, yeah. I believe, against the Bulls that, that they went into depth on. And they talked to him a lot, probably because he's an ESPN personality, so I get he's available. And he was probably begging to be on, and they're like, right. no, we'll let you know. And then they're like, But he's right, already Jaylen. he's already gotten Kobe'd for 81. Hmm. And then he already had Joel Embiid hit him with the 81% and roast him with that. And now we find out that, you know, like he was – talking like he thought that they were going to beat the Bulls as a guy that, that really shouldn't be saying anything about this and, and getting all hyped up and thinking they had a chance, and then ultimately, you know, Jordan derails them. And, yeah, these and rookies so that so talk so. shit on MJ just don't have a very good uh, – Yeah. <laughs> this just does does not do them any favors. So the more I can see Jalen Rose lose at anything, the, the happier I am. So happy, His happy loss is a big win for us. Absolutely. That uh, that's really all I had. So I mean, I guess like the last thing, man, on a scale of like one to ten, like how do you rate this series? How did it live up to your expectations? And and any final thoughts or or tidbits you may have? Before I go into how I feel overall, sure. we have to bring up at the very beginning of episode nine. I missed it. You replayed it. Jordan catching the ball in the air to only peg it at Mark Jackson's oh, yeah. head. Fuck Mark Jackson. Oh my god! And it just makes me wonder. Do you think maybe that's just that peg in the head from the ball of Michael Jordan? Like, is man, that's where everything went downhill for no. him. Like, maybe that just he always sucked, dude. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not giving him a way out on this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, but no, it, it it lived up to my expectations. There were definitely there were definitely parts where there were episodes. I'm like. This could have been a half hour, and but given the current times we're in, it's I'm not going to really complain about. I would scale one to ten. I give it an eight, eight and a half. Yeah, I, I think you kind of nailed it. I had very high expectations for it, and a lot of it I would say exceeded them because I didn't expect it to be this funny. A lot of the speculation around it when it was you know about to come out, it seemed like people were worried about like how bad was this going to make Jordan look? Was this about the reveal? a bunch of terrible things we didn't know. And it almost like had me worried because I didn't really want, like, you know, like I'm all for a couple of interesting side stories here and there. And I didn't expect it to be a fairy tale, 
but like it was really being made out like this could be like something that completely like tarnishes his reputation to some degree. It definitely wasn't that, which I appreciated. I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. I think every episode we were la- we were like you know, laugh out loud laughing several times. So yeah. a really great job of that. And that's just from like how over the top a lot of this was, which I guess maybe should have been expected a little more, but still was very refreshing for me. Again, my biggest issue was the the order of the storytelling. Yeah, the time jumping and stuff was was a little confusing for me. I, I don't necessarily think that you needed it. I get what they were trying to do, and you know maybe with better execution it would work a little better. So it's it's partly the concept in itself. It's partly the way that they executed it. But especially, I'd say the the last like last weekend and this weekend. I, I definitely think there had to be some kind of difficulty between them still filming some of this as we led up to it and rushing to get this out and just like how they had to, to put things out there to fill the slots and to fill the episodes. I think it made it very confusing. And to your point, which again, I think is a great one that it definitely seemed like they kind of ran out of gas toward the end. And I don't think it would have felt that way if you just kind of had everything in a better order and focused on a lot of these backstories and like how guys got to this point earlier on where those things make sense. And then maybe kind of shift into more of a, okay, now we understand how everybody got here. Let's kind of go through the season and hit all those points instead of like, here's a guy, here's some of this season. Here's another guy. Here's the next month of the season. And it's like, wait, like I already forgot where we were in that season because for the last 45 minutes, I was figuring out where Scottie Pippen went and played college basketball. Like this should have been full of things that people didn't really know. A lot of stories, a lot of anecdotes, things like that. And the history lesson part of it, some of it was appreciated, but some of it is like, okay, we all know Michael Jordan went to North Carolina. Yeah. Like, come on. We don't need to spend that much time on this. Right. I guess the last thing I have is just that in a poor attempt at humor here. This was a very forgettable era of like very below average to average centers like Greg Ostertag, Greg Foster, Rick Smiths, Luke Longley, Bill Wennington. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably pretty unfair <laughs> to put Rick Smiths in there when he was like the number two pick and was leading was yeah. part of that Indiana team. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I kind of agree with you. I mean. I don't know. You're talking about David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, yeah. Patrick Ewing. Well, the, the the thing that they all had in common was that they're they're just like very terrible white basketball players. So, <laughs> sure, if, if that's your takeaway <laughs> from it, then then so be it. Uh, I guess they're uh, all the same guy. So you gave it an eight point five. I think I would give it an eight. Eight point five is, is is probably about right. But I just I really think that my biggest issue is is the order of everything in the storytelling. Yeah. You know, it kind of makes me think, you're not an Arrested Development guy, right? No, I, I've watched it. But even if you if you don't know, like, the story that well, do you, like, I think it was, was it their fourth season was the first one they put on Netflix? And they literally yeah, had so, to, like, yeah. recut and edit the entire thing months later because, like, it got so bad reviews and, like, didn't make sense that they, I think now if you watch yeah, it on there, it says it's, like, a recut that. or a re-edit yeah, or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, If somebody were to take these 10 episodes and just kind of restructure the order a little bit, I think that it, you could fairly easily create a much better overall enjoying experience than what we got from this. But with that said, the content that they gave us was entertaining, informative, funny at times, emotional at times, like, you know, very good overall. And especially for the time that we're in right now, much needed and yeah. much, much appreciated. And, you know, ne- next Sunday, I'm sure I'm going to miss it. Yeah. And I did notice at the beginning of every episode, it was an ESPN and Netflix production. So, I mean, Netflix has the experience in recutting scenes and switching them around. So if this ever goes to Netflix, maybe they could do a set service. Yeah, quite possibly. So uh, I think that's going to be it for us. Nothing else. You're good. Yeah, I think that's everything. I did see on Netflix today there's a documentary called The Carter Effect on Vince Carter. Okay. So, I mean, if we just want to start reviewing basketball documentaries, there's that. <laughs> I also, I don't, I, I feel like I saw this a couple times on Twitter, but I don't know if, if it was legitimate or not. But I think, like, uh, ESPN's also going to have something coming out at some point on the McGuire Sammy Sosa. Thing. Oh, yeah. Which uh, obviously isn't really our, our wheelhouse here, but was definitely, like, a, a, like, a huge thing in, in, in our time growing up just like this was. Like, I had a Mark McGuire 73 home run pennant or whatever. Yeah. And I think I had, like, a Sammy Sosa bobblehead or something. Like, I was, like, I was, that was prime for me watching that, yep. that race happen. And obviously, we know what happened after that. But right. 
Um, but it was in, but baseball was never as fun as that. So hey, well, I don't yeah. know, man. Those, those, okay, well, those late Phillies, yeah. yeah. Let's let's not get carried away, but. Yeah, uh, really good time. So, again, thank you to everybody for listening. This is going to be the end of, of me and Steve on Sunday nights doing the last dance. So, we'll have to figure out where we go from here. Steve, it's been really, really fun, yeah. really enjoyable. I, I've liked it. Uh, we'll have to figure out where we go from here, find something else. If you have something you'd like us to talk about, if you've got mailbag questions, if there's something we don't know about we should watch and discuss, please let us know. You can find us on all social media at Process Potables. You can go to www.processpotables.com to find our contact info, to message us, to see what breweries we've worked with, what what beer we're drinking, things like that, anything going on. Obviously, right now with the quarantine, we don't have any events scheduled, but hopefully that'll change sometime soon. Make sure that you check your feeds tomorrow for a brand new Power Bombs and Potables episode from our friend Corey, recapping the last week in professional wrestling. And stay tuned later this week for the debut episode of our new movie podcast, Popcorn and Potables, for Steve... I'm Dan, thanks for listening, and trust the podcast.